It's the criterion. It's the criterion. 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 In. 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 Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Criterion Project, and this is the show where we like to talk about what's playing on the Criterion channel, and it's a ton of fun. And I am film critic Rachel Wagner, and Conrado is here. Yes, he is. Hey, Rachel. How's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing well as well, I would say. Um, Yeah, ready to talk about some spooky movie (laughs) since it is uh, October 31st when this episode comes out. Yeah, happy Halloween. That's right. (laughs) Um, So we're keeping a tradition that I guess we started last year when we talked about the black cat of of doing universal horror movies for our Halloween episode. Yeah, and we've actually done uh, a different Dracula, Nosferatu, before. That's right. That was one of our first episodes, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was pretty early on, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's, uh, I think one of the only times that we've done that where we we've talked about two different versions we'll we'll talk about three actually yeah yeah that's right um um yeah so that's exciting you Um, recovered from the new york film festival i did recover from the new york film festival um and i and actually i have been catching up with a couple other movies that played there that i didn't see at the festival Mm -hmm. but that i did catch up with but actually i wanted to start mentioning something you know since this is the P- criterion project i did want to mention something that happened recently with criterion which is that earlier this week i uh, we all learned that they're making some big cuts at the company yeah. and they're laying off 20 percent of their workforce which is obviously very unfortunate and i feel pretty bad for all the people who are now going to be having to look for a different job um but i wanted to, to point it out because you know i feel like we love doing this show but we have to keep in mind that Criterion at the end of the day is a company, right? And um, there's stuff to think about there as well. You know, when we ask what makes it a Criterion movie, a lot of the time it's it's worth it to keep in mind what makes a lot of Criterion movies Criterion movies is that they think they're going to make money off of them, yeah. you know? So they have this whole brand about, like, keeping a certain kind of canon going on of, like, great movies. But, you know, um, there are people who work there. There are people who have jobs, and it's kind of unfortunate that... Um, some of these things can't work out. Um, you know, yeah. art and commerce always kind of like being at odds with each other, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's got to be tough uh, being in the physical media business as their primary mm-hmm. business. Definitely. Because, I mean, most of the people that I know don't have, don't even have Blu-ray players anymore. Don't even have a way to play them. That's very true. And I thought of that when they announced recently that they were going to put out uh, WALL-E in the Criterion Collection because, um, well, number one, you know, Disney was for such a long time one of the biggest physical media companies ever. You Mm -hmm. know, they released movies over and over again on DVD and VHS. They in so many special editions. And the fact that they are not even that interested in, in keeping all that money for themselves that they would do a deal with Criterion, that was one thing. The other was, I was thinking, oh, wow, Criterion has to put out WALL-E, one of the most popular movies, you know, of the last 20 years, because they need to make the money probably off of it. So obviously, there's also a little bit of like a Disney movie and a Pixar movie in the Criterion collection that's going to generate some publicity as well. And and it's going to mean something. But obviously, it's also a commercial uh, decision. And and that 
in itself made me really think, oh, yeah, physical media, that's a, you know, times are tough. Yeah, I mean, the major maker of uh, Blu-ray player Samsung stopped making them a couple of years ago. And uh, and so now I was looking on Amazon and to get a new one, you're going to pay like two hundred dollars. So people, you know, just have the ones they already had. Uh, or you use uh, a um, like their Xbox or things like that, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's yeah, it's a problem. Although I do want to say, you know, with all of this in mind, physical media in its own way isn't a great position right now for the consumer, for the people who want to get it. Mm-hmm. Blu-ray players are very cheap nowadays, um, especially if you don't want a 4K player, you can get a blu-ray player for pretty cheap oh really i've seen on amazon they were like two hundred dollars they were expensive those are probably the 4k players but like a regular blu-ray old-fashioned blu-ray player should be in the realm of like thirty dollars or so nowadays um depending where you're looking and also there's so so many movies available in physical media there are so many companies not just criterion but there's you know there's kino lorber Mm -hmm. there is um oh my god of course shout factory there is my friend uh justin de has gold ninja video where he puts out very original uh discs with a lot of very fun special features for people who are into cult movies um and there's so many others and there's there's so many things uh, available right now for pretty cheap as well and you know with streaming you never know when those things are going to disappear as we've seen with recently happened with um which one was it? HBO Max, yeah, HBO right? Max. That was deleting stuff uh, left and right without without a warning. So if you, you know, might not be the worst time to try to... Although at the same time, you know, getting a Blu-ray is, doesn't mean you're like doing some incredible film, film preservation that you're going to save cinema forever, right? But, you know, if you want to be able to watch your movies, maybe you want to get a couple. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we've been watching. You said you've been able to see some of the... Uh, films at the festival that you had missed mm-hmm. at the festival. Uh, That's right. Have you seen anything on Criterion or uh, anything you want uh, to talk about? I will. Well, I will talk about these movies that I caught up with. I think mm-hmm. because I haven't seen that much on Criterion uh, in the last couple of weeks, but I did see Tar, which we mentioned last episode mm. that you talked about, and I was kind of on the fence about it. I have to say, um, some of it I liked, some of it I struggled with. I thought the um, I thought when I look at it as a comedy, it works best. I think there's a lot of very funny moments of, of how specific this woman is and, and who this woman is that, that made me laugh. Uh, you know, there's like the pictures that she hangs in her house. One of them got a big laugh out of me. The things that she says, how she behaves. It's poking fun of, of this kind of like snooty composer lincoln center type of you know mm-hmm. per- person which i thought was funny and the movie obviously ends with what i think is basically a punchline you know it's like at the end it was kind of like one big joke if you see it more as a drama that's when i have a little more reservations about it um you know making a uh, basically a me too kind of movie with a woman as the sort of um you know perpetrator was interesting on paper i thought but i didn't know the the movie made that many interesting points with that it also happens that the movie starts with very long scenes and as they go they start to get shorter and shorter and it starts to jump in time it's like an interesting way to format a movie structure was yeah. but at the end they skip through through so many things that i wish i was able to see 
because then you have moments like her big climactic moment when she unravels. I won't spoil it, but I think, Rachel, you probably know which one I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Like when she makes one big, very big thing that she does towards the end that it kind of like cements her downfall. I didn't buy that she would do that. I was, mm -hmm. I was, it caught me completely off guard. So yeah, so I'm kind of going back and forth with that. Yeah, I did think that the ending in particular was messy. I was just like, what is happening? And mm -hmm. uh, I, I thought her performance was really good. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, that's true. But in that, but what do you think about the fact that they didn't really have that much music? Like for, I, mm. that that was a surprise to me because almost every scene in with the music was in rehearsal. And she says at the very beginning that mm -hmm. the, the greatness never happens in it's performance always in rehearsal. And, rehearsal. and so right. that that was kind of their choice. But I, I felt like I could have used at least a few more scenes where you really got to see her connection to the music and why she loved the music and uh, because it just seemed like they would start, they'd play like a little bit and then they'd stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I did enjoy those music sequences. I really liked the... I agree with you, though, that they didn't show them as much. They kind of like had showed a little in order to get to what they wanted to say regarding the characters or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I did really love that scene later in the movie when she watches the VHS tape of Leonard Bernstein. Mm -hmm. And I think that does get at what you were trying to say about like, what, why does she love music? What is, you know, and he's talking to the audience as he's playing this this piece and, and he's connecting with the audience and that's so different from the way she approached music throughout the movie that that scene was really interesting to me kind of like seeing like oh this was her mentor and this is how he sees music and she sees it in a totally different way uh, but there wasn't that much of that like you were saying mm -hmm. yeah yeah interesting uh well i i don't know do you have anything any others that you want to talk about um, I can talk about briefly. I watched Triangle of Sadness. I was not a fan. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one, but I don't think you would like it. Probably <laughs> it doesn't seem like a Rachel type of movie, but um, it's getting some buzz. It won the Palm d'Or at Cannes earlier this year. Um, I didn't really like it. I did see also Decision to Leave, which is the movie by Park Chan Wook, South Korean director, and that was very well done. That's I got enjoyed a ton it a lot. Of buzz. That's got a ton of it. I got to say, I didn't love it, but I had a good time. I think it's a good movie, and I would recommend it to anyone who's interested in it, despite the fact that I didn't absolutely love it. Yeah, I haven't absolutely loved any of the Oscar contenders I've seen so far. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've I've given most of them a fresh, uh, but I... Which ones are you thinking of? I can't even think of what are the contenders well, I, right now. Well, like, I gave fresh I guess Tar to, is one of them. To uh, Banshees, Aventurin... Oh, yeah, which I haven't seen yet. Yeah, I, I didn't love it, but it has enough good performances and good things about it to give a mild recommendation. Okay. Um, I So I felt, you know, kind of the same way about Tar. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the movie Till, I, I think that oh, it has yeah. a really good performance, and I think it'll be a great movie to watch uh, with kids in school. Uh, oh. But uh, okay. it's not like I didn't love it, but it was well mm -hmm. done. Um what else have I seen? Oh, I saw Empire of Light. Uh, and that's a movie that looks really great. Roger Deakins, um, Sam Mendes. It's another one of these movies of kind of uh, trying to show the, the value of film, you know, like that we've seen from a lot of different directors lately. Um, but in Olivia Coleman's great, but the story uh, just uh -huh. wasn't great. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But well, uh, but I have been watching a couple classics. Uh, uh-huh, for, what do you get? Uh, for Cheap Plug, my AFI Passions project I'm doing for the patrons. Uh, that's right. <laughs> uh, so I saw The Goodbye Girl, which I had never seen before. Uh, yeah, Richard Dreyfuss, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he won an Oscar for it. And uh, Marsha Mason. And it's just a cute movie. It's very yeah. it's it's forced proximity, uh, where they she's she's living in the apartment uh, with her boyfriend. He leaves her, and then the boyfriend sublets it to Richard Dreyfus, but they're still there, and so they end mm. up making this sort of agreement to share the apartment. And uh, first right. they hate each other, and you know, as you'd expect. But it, it was it was it was charming. Yeah, I've only ever seen, you know, there's a TV movie version of it that came out uh, probably around 2003 or mm-hmm. four with, with Patricia Heaton and Jeff Daniels, oh, I think, good? which I saw on cable once. I mean, it's been a really long time since I saw it. I It was one of those days, you know, back in the day when we used to like just surf channels and cable until you found something uh-huh. that would entertain you for a couple hours on a Sunday. Um, I remember watching that movie and having a good time. Yeah, yeah I'd like to see probably that. probably okay. Uh, and there's a musical version, I believe, as well on Broadway. Uh, oh, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. Uh, but then I also watched the silent film The Sheik. Oh. Yeah, for the project that'll be uh, that will have just posted my my uh, review of it uh, on the Patreon, and uh, I think it's really hard to watch silent films at home. You just have to keep so focused, and there's so many distractions that it can be tough. And uh, most <laughs> of the most of the restorations are pretty bad, and with terrible music uh and like this mm. one finally i just turned off the music because obviously you don't need it for silent film right uh, where did you watch this one i just watched it on youtube so probably oh, not okay, the best yeah. way so you can get whatever music there yeah. yeah that's a big gamble with the music at least mm-hmm. uh yeah. but you can it's i think it's worth watching this because obviously a bunch of this movie does not hold up culturally no. uh and the way the women are treated and things like that the way that you know the arab people are portrayed thing all of that there's blackface yeah. there's other stuff that's not you know doesn't hold up it's 1921 um mm. but i think it's worth watching just for the you can see its influence on so many different films um, i guess that's true and i don't know i think you're being too generous honestly <laughs> i have seen this movie oh, the performance <laughs> I think it's by pretty bad Val- valentino made him a star and so it's kind of interesting yeah. to watch it from that perspective and see uh but I, you know, it's not. Some- it was a huge hit at the time. Oh, yeah, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah. It's not something that I um, loved. I gave it two and a half uh, stars. Um, yeah. But uh, but I do think for its place in history, it's it's worth a wa- sure. wa- worth a watch. I would say if you want to see like you know a quintessential example of the kind of Orientalism things that have not aged well that Hollywood used to do, this is probably like the best example yeah. of that of what people mean by that. Yeah, I'm not a big fan yeah. uh, of that. All right, well, let's dive in and talk about our another classic. We're talking about 1931's uh, Dracula. And, and 1931's Dracula. Yes. <laughs> Wait, what? Am I seeing double? Rachel, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I didn't know that this was a thing that during the 1930s, they would often, uh, they would often shoot double. The, they would shoot the movie in English and then they would shoot 
uh, the, the using the same sets, the same everything, uh, shoot a movie in another language, uh, oftentimes mm-hmm. Spanish. Uh, and I thought that was fascinating. So they have uh, at the Criterion Channel, they have both versions that you can watch and compare contrast. Yeah, yeah, that's very, it's a very interesting thing. I guess, you know, it was very early on in the invention of sound films. So I guess someone thought we have the sets, we might as well just do a version that's in another language. And of course, they used to do that as well in other countries, right? In Germany, there are uh, quite a few movies that you can find in German and in English versions uh, to export to other countries. Uh, in particular, the movie uh, The Blue Angel which, with Marlene Dietrich, one of her first movies that made her a star. That has two versions of it, one in English and one in German mm-hmm. that I have seen. Um, and they were doing that in Hollywood as well. So that's kind of interesting. So we watched both versions, right? I did, yeah. And I... I guess I knew that they made certainly dubbed versions and things like that, but to have a completely different cast, completely different, uh, mm-hmm. that I didn't realize that they did so frequently. Yeah, and I should say that's pretty unique. The The German movie that I was mentioning, that has the same cast. So it's just the same cast of German actors speaking English. Um, so that's different. In this one, you have a completely different cast, Um yeah, completely different, right? I, at some points, I thought maybe some of the extras were the same, but I don't think so. I think everyone is a different cast, but they're all in the same sets and they're all using the same script and yeah. almost the same costumes. Yeah, it's really kind of cool. Like, I'd like to see more of these and see the the difference between... Uh, I mean, there wasn't a, t- a huge difference, but the, the Spanish version is uh, like 30 minutes longer somehow. Yeah, which is weird because it's not like it has more scenes mm-hmm. that I could think of, right? Yeah. It's just more about the pacing and things like that. Yeah, it was interesting. It's very strange. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about the English one first. That's the one I took mm-hmm. the more of the notes on because it's hard to take notes yeah. uh, on another language. Subtitled movies, yeah, yeah of course. Uh, but anyway, I one of the things that I really liked about this movie is the way that they did the like the production design where all the castle just felt so big and everybody mm-hmm. looked like very small they were just sort of engulfed by this castle yeah i think that's a yeah i think i agree with that that's probably one of the movie's biggest strengths the the whole first section of the movie i don't know it's probably the first 20 minutes or so when he's in transylvania when renfield you know we we begin and you have the mountains and then they're Mm -hmm. going to the castle and the castle is huge all of that it was so transportive so evocative it made me wish that i was seeing it on the big screen because you know last year i went to see bride of frankenstein on the big screen and that looked incredible Mm. so so i was thinking oh it would probably be something like that with where you can get those huge because you know because it's really different to see a movie that is in this aspect ratio, which is kind of like looks kind of square to us now that we're accustomed to widescreen. But when you see it on a big screen, it's like it's towering over you. It's like kind of like IMAX, you know, it's obviously not as big, but it that kind of boxy thing makes it feel like it's really tall. And so it feels like or like at the stage or something, you know, so it's very transportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really it helps get you there and build the atmosphere that you need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and this is sure. one example, in my opinion, of a movie that does improve upon the book. Uh, because, I mean, it has mm. been a little while since I read the book. But in the book, Mina is always described as being, like, this kind of goddess. Like, perfect. That she needs to be protected at all costs. And and uh, that mm-hmm. she's just this 
the way they talk about her is very in that sense of like old school, like we have to protect this angel woman, you know, kind of a thing. And uh-huh. you get a little bit of that here with, I mean, the fiance is a kind of a bore, but, uh, but she's better yeah. than in the book, in my opinion. Yeah. When isn't the fiance kind of a bore? I feel <laughs> like in every movie, that's the case. That's <laughs> um, but yeah, she does pretty well. Helen Chandler is the name of the actress and I think she does a good performance. I thought that there are two performances that really stood out to me in this movie, of course. One of them is obviously Bella Lugosi as Dracula. Yeah. And we can get into it more. But I also really loved um, Dwight Fry, who plays Renfield, especially during that first sequence. He's, um, I don't know, he's just really kind of out there. Mm-hmm. In his, even before he goes crazy, he's kind of out there, yeah, you know, which is like, a little bit different, a little bit like... Um, uh, so kind of naive, but also um, above everyone else when he say like, no, of course I have to go to Dracula's castle, you know, like you're kind of like waiting for, for horror things to happen to him because he's so oblivious about what's going on, you know, and he mm-hmm. feels so sure of himself despite the fact that he's about to meet Dracula, which I, which I thought was pretty funny. And it was a pretty, I think, appropriate representation of kind of like that British victorian mentality of like you know the the biggest empire in the world and we're invincible kind of yeah. a thing situation going on there yeah, i also want to say you're gonna be proud of me rich because i did do my homework a lot for this episode i not only did i watch dracula spanish and english versions i also watched uh francis ford coppola's bram stoker's dracula um, just to compare mm-hmm. a little extra. And I read some of Dracula the novel, oh. believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. Because I was so curious about the, the adaptations and, and the changes in them that I went. And I didn't read the whole thing, but I did like read um, a couple different sections of it um, in order to, for preparation. And I think that the... I, I think that, you know, with the caveat that I didn't read the whole thing, I think I agree with you that the movies in general improve on the novel in a in a very interesting at least they make it more interesting i think the novel is not super super interesting to me it's just very basic dracula is evil incarnation of the devil he represents like you know all this um dark desires that go against victorian london and he's going to corrupt all the women you know this beautiful like you were saying angelic mina is going to be corrupted by dracula we must stop this you Mm -hmm. know kind of very conservative and of its time in my opinion in a way that wasn't super interesting but then watching these movies they don't change that that much that is still the the basis of it but you watch you know this movie and Bela Lugosi is such an interesting weird presence that there is something about him right whereas the fiance like you were saying is a complete cardboard person with no personality but this weird count is kind of like speaking with this weird accent and he has you know they do the thing with the eyes where they light up only his eyes and he's so mesmerizing and apparently a lot of women were really enchanted by bella lugosi in back then uh, watching dracula um and i think that makes the movie a little more interesting. You know, there's something attractive about going into the dark side. Well, and in the book, Mina and Lucy are friends. And so there's more like between the two of them uh, than you get Mm -hmm. in the movie, uh, which, you know, also kind of goes into this, like, it's not damsels in distress, but it's just like these kind of gothic women 
Yeah, it's pretty close to it. You do get that one scene, which is kind of funny because she does the Bella Lugosi impression, Helen Chandler, when she's teasing me, um, Lucy for, for liking the Count, mm-hmm. you know, and she does the accent. That I thought that yeah. was kind of funny. That's probably, you know, the the first Bella Lugosi impression ever, <laughs> and it's already in this movie. Yeah, and well, I thought that actually his voice was one of the most sort of standout parts of his performance. He has such like a distinct, creepy voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, creepy voice, weird way of saying things. Obviously, because he was a Hungarian actor. And I think we talked a lot about him in the Black Cat episode, so people can listen to that Mm -hmm. and want to know more about his biography. But obviously, Bela Lugosi was a Hungarian stage actor. He came to America, and he got uh, popular performing Dracula as a play before they made the movie. But obviously, English was not his first language. And, you know, so he has this weird cadence to his voice. And he, you know, when he says, I don't drink why yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. he just leaves these weird pauses <laughs> that make everything like more uh i don't know it gives us a, a particular vibe that i really enjoyed from him mm-hmm. yeah i agree and i thought that i agree with you also about renfeld i thought the renfelds in both versions were very strong yeah um as a whole though it is kind of weird i think and it might be a struggle for for folks to watch because there's no almost no score in this movie at mm. all, only at the beginning, and everything is very silent. And it is 1931, so the pace is pretty slow. There and it feels, you know, kind of like things are moving very slowly. Not a lot is happening, uh, and there's a lot, a lot of silence, which is very interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I would say that the Spanish mm. one's even slower. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's it's in both cases. It's very similarly mm-hmm. uh, done. And apparently, the director of the Spanish version would watch kind of like the, you know, the dailies from the English version oh. and then try to match it. Even though he did do quite a few things differently, uh, we'll talk about it in a second. Um, and I I I thought that uh, there were particularly like when Renfeld says that I begged you to send me away and now it's too late. It's happened again. And and then mm-hmm. especially at the end when he he says, you know, I I if I if I die I will have all of the um uh the the things I've done that will come with me. And uh mm-hmm. there's he says there are things far worse than death. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, for when Dracula, when he says, like, you know, oh, to to die, to really die would be such a sublime thing, mm-hmm. you know, like, there are things worse yeah. than death that await humans. Um, yeah, it's. I thought it was a pretty solid movie. Now, I have a question for you, though. I personally, probably because of the time it was made and just my sensibility, I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more as a bit of kind of like camp than actual, you know, maybe engaging with the movie completely emotionally and honestly mm-hmm. how about you how did you feel yeah about that? i can i can feel that i i think i w- would probably pick the nosferatu over this as far as a dracula retelling mm. it's been a while since i saw that but uh and i haven't i haven't seen the francis ford coppola one uh mm-hmm. it, i've heard that it's not very good oh really yeah you know, I kind of loved oh, it watching it this time. It is very different from the novel, but I think it does take this idea that I was talking about even further of Dracula as someone who is not just a demon, but a, a seducer and a, and a potential romantic mm-hmm. uh, creature. 
and he really t- it really takes that in a very very uh operatic romantic like there's it's a very it's a huge movie mm-hmm. there's just a lot of movie there yeah. it's like very very big with lots of incredible colors and and music and effects and everything and it's so i think it's definitely worth seeing it's a very very passionate interesting movie that i think i really liked a lot mm. yeah i think that it's one of those stories kind of like christmas carol where it's it's really interesting to to like you know all the basic pieces of the story and it's been told many 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 times and so it's interesting to kind of go through and uh and look and see oh they did you know they did this or they had van helsing it, do this mm. or they had uh, Mina and Lucy you know our particular like I I think that would be an interesting uh, like series to, to talk about you know like each of the different ones yeah. and how they uh, um, yeah yeah we should yeah we, our friend Jonathan who has a podcast where he goes through all the different versions mm. of different um, stories should do Dracula sometime. yeah he hasn't done idea. Dracula I don't think right yeah that would be interesting I, I'd listen to that yeah, I will say, though, that, well, you say that um, I do think that unlike A Christmas Carol, which is such a great story from its inception, I do think that it, with Dracula, you kind of have to bring something yeah. to it to make it a little interesting, a little more interesting, yeah. you know? I agree. I feel like some of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do, I thought it the one of the best scenes in the movie uh, is uh, when the maid uh, faints. And then you you see mm. Renfield like crawling up to her like that. I thought was a very creepy scene. Yeah, because you know what's coming, and uh, and then I also thought that the whole scene aboard the Vesta, uh, when you see uh, with the storm, yes, yeah. uh, you will see. I get lives. I will be loyal to you. You know, kind of thing. That was also yeah, well very done. intense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, were there anything else, uh, other scenes that stood out to you? Um, I only have a couple scenes that I want to compare and contrast with the Spanish version. Okay. That's kind of like the ones that kind of jump out to me. So, so, I, so should we yeah, jump into that? Let's talk about that. So the Spanish version uh, w- was directed by George Melford. And, uh, George Melford, director of The Chic. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so this one, it uh, stars Carlos Villarius as Count Dracula. And, uh, and then it's pretty similar as far as story. But I did think that the um, Renfeld was even more like kind of madcap and crazy in this one. He was, I thought, fun. You like you like this Renfield the most, probably more than the other. Even, oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. Although I did think Renfield was pretty good. Probably the best performance in the in the Spanish version. I would agree is Renfield. I just really love the English one mm-hmm. as well. Um, instead of Mina in this movie, you have Eva, who is played by. I just want to point this out by Lupita Tovar, who is a very kind of iconic Mexican-American actress and who is the mother of Susan Conner, who's one of the actors that we talked about when we did Imitation of Life, who plays um, the daughter in that movie, oh. the kind of like the tortured biracial daughter. Yeah, so um, so that I thought that was a fun connection to one of our previous episodes. I will say, though, the 
I had heard from a couple of people that the Spanish version was better than the English version. And I think mostly what they're talking about is that the direction is a little bit more um, precise in some ways. I think that the English version, which was directed by Todd Browning, is very much kind of like just put the camera down, have the actors talk. It feels very much like a play in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, the one big kind of like visual thing that the English version brings that the Spanish one doesn't have which is very iconic, is the way that they light Bela Lugosi's eyes. You know, when they close to do the close-ups of him, when he's kind of hypnotizing people, they have that very iconic, everything's dark except his eyes. You know, they only light around his eyes, and they, he looks very creepy. And um, so that is very good. But other than that, the visuals in this English version, I think, are not super, super... You know, yeah, I mean, the true. sets are incredible, like you were saying, but the but the camera movement. So I think in that way... Uh, it's interesting to contrast because, for example, this a scene that I think is so much better done for the most part in the Spanish version is the scene in which Van Helsing looks at Dracula in the reflection of the box when he can't see his reflection. Mm. Um, looking at those scenes side by side, the one in the Spanish version, it just it it like plays it out in a much clearer, more tense way. Like you build up to it a little more interesting. In the English version, you just see him in the reflection. A bunch of times and you linger in the reflection a really long time then back and forth in the silence whereas in the spanish one it's a little bit more while people are talking he's seeing it and she and they're moving in the in the camera and then you see the same thing in their reflection and it builds up towards him showing him the thing a little better i thought i don't know if you yeah. had this, this no things, I, like I, that. I did like that scene that that was well done and i so yeah i i agree and I I think that uh, that it was interesting to see the difference between uh, Carlos Villares and Bela Lugosi. I they mm-hmm. he he doesn't have as much of sort of the, like you're saying the camp factor, um, mm-hmm. but it's taken it a little bit more seriously. But there are a lot of scenes in the English version of them just once Van Helsing arrives of them like talking to Van Helsing and trying to convince. Uh, yeah, trying to convince them to either to not do something or to do something uh, for Mina, and uh, and uh, you didn't have as much of that in this Spanish version. Yeah, and it, it's weird that it's longer. Yeah, it you is know weird. because of that. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. But anyway, um, the other thing was that um, that I was gonna say. Is, oh yeah, about the performances. I do think that something that the English version has that the Spanish one doesn't is I think Bela Lugosi. I think the I think you're right that Carlos Villarías, I think it's how mm-hmm. I would pronounce that name, um, is um, taking it very seriously. Yeah. He's much more down to earth. He's much more normal. And I think in this case, that actually plays against it, in my opinion. I think that having such a otherworldly figure like Bela Lugosi does a lot to bring the creepiness and the weirdness about this count and the vampiric element of it. Whereas... In the Spanish version, he's just a dude. He doesn't even have a Transylvanian accent. He just speaks with a Spanish yeah. accent, you know? So it's kind of like, um, he's just very regular. I, You know, I was missing that kind of like, because to me, Bela Lugosi really is what makes the movie yeah. in the other version. So missing him was a big, big blow. Well, let's talk about our questions. Uh, so 
we have these two movies. What do you think uh, makes them a Criterion uh, release? I mean, your Criterion channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, classics. You know, Dracula, we should say, was the first movie in what we now recognize as kind of like the universal horror series. You know, this came out very early in 1931. It was a big hit. And it kickstarted a bunch of other horror movies, which was something that Carl Lemley Jr., one of the executives at uh, Universal, kind of took a gamble on in trying to secure that market and have something different out there, you know, to make to make Universal, which was not a huge studio at the time, to make it bigger and more successful. And something that his dad, Carl Lemley, wasn't particularly into because he saw that as kind of disreputable, you know, horror that's not very prestigious, that's kind of trashy. But, you know, in the long term, it worked out. It's one of the most enduring elements about Universal as a mm-hmm. as a studio and in, in their history. Yeah, and they have the whole Universal monster uh, collection. Uh, and it's I, I think that the Criterion Channel... Uh, could even do more of sort of, we'll talk about the pretentiousness, but even do more movies that are a little more mainstream. And But it's nice when they kind of throw us a bone every now and then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, with the classic, when they do Hollywood classics, they tend to go, uh, you know, they're more in that, main, well, you know, mainstream for the time, for sure. Mm-hmm. And they, I know that they're doing a Fox Noir series in November. And I do enjoy when they do this kind of like, different studios highlighting what the studios were doing you know because the studios back then did have a bit of like a different kind of like brand identity is what we would say today but they had different styles and they made different kinds of movies you know when you when like when mgm did a horror movie was different in tone from the universal horror movies you know and the noirs were different the westerns you know the musicals um and that's kind of cool to see to go back because that you know Sometimes we think classic movies and we think they were all the same. And they're not at all. They're so very different. That's true. That's true. Uh, so let's talk about pretentiousness. Uh, yeah. What do you think about it? Are one of these more pretentious than the other? or? That's a great question. Is one of these more pretentious than the other? I think they're pretty on par, um, one and the other, right? I don't think one is... They're so very similar, you know, mm. in so many ways. And the story is the story. The script is the same script. And um, at the end of the day, I guess maybe if you're doing like a literary adaptation of Dracula, but I mean, it's Dracula, you know, it's like a horror movie. It's like for the masses. I think it's pretty unpretentious. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I might give the Spanish one a little bit higher uh, because... Just for being in Spanish? Well, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but also because it does take take itself a little bit more serious. There's not that camp factor. Uh, that we talked mm. about. Um, so I'd probably give like the English a three and the Spanish a four. Yeah, I think three, maybe even a two for both of them is where I would yeah. land. Um, and I should also say that um, despite the fact that I was talking about the, the the English version not being particularly well directed, I think it's okay directed. I just don't think it's anything mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. But I did want to say that the director Todd Browning he, as far as I know, he is a good director. He made the movie Freaks a couple of years later, mm. which is a movie that I really like. I mean, maybe a little bit problematic looking at it nowadays, but I do think that it's a very interesting Yeah, uh, I haven't seen that since high horror school. Movie. Yeah, and I remember, I haven't seen it in a while as well, but I remember really liking it and really responding mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, we watched it. My friends, we had a like a Halloween sleepover thing, whatever. It's random choice, mm-hmm. but we watched it there. I haven't seen it since. <laughs> I was pretty wimpy when it came to scary movies growing up. Yeah. <laughs> but I have... Oh, that's another thing that I have watched recently for Blind Spot this month in October. I, I watched the original Nightmare on Elm, Nightmare on Elm Street movie oh what do you think of that i actually liked it i i realized about myself what scares me the most is like things that feel more realistic to me mm-hmm. so like something mm-hmm. <clears throat> like these dream sequences in nightmare on elm street or something like stracula you know where it feels very unrealistic like that you know, unlikely to happen to me in my life um that mm-hmm. doesn't scare me as much but it's still effective uh-huh. and i enjoy it i enjoy it i actually right. prefer not to be super scared that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah that does make yeah. sense so anyway um uh, but uh let's see um oh i forgot i forgot about the remake um oh uh, well you know dracula has been remade so many times <laughs> yeah i think that's why maybe i i i remember thinking and then I, and then i just got i've been so busy did you have a remake mm-hmm. you know the only thing that i could think of which i think is pretty much it might have been what I said when we covered the black cat. I'm not sure, but I would really like to see a maybe one of those. Well, I don't know. Listen, I never watch TV anymore, but now I'm going to pitch a TV show. <laughs> but like, whatever. Like, you know, one of those miniseries that they do um, looking at historical figures uh, and doing a kind of like they did Betty and Joan, but like doing a Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff, oh, yeah, kind of like how fun. Karina Longworth did on her podcast. Um, because they have very interesting careers and stories as this kind of like the two big horror uh, movie guys of this time. And, you know, Karloff seemingly having a more successful career than Lugosi, Lugosi you know, who had Dracula. Le- at least that's how the legend goes, that he did Dracula. He was a huge success. They told him you should do Frankenstein. And he thought that the part of Frankenstein was kind of beneath him or something, you know, because he didn't really speak. He was a monster. He didn't do it. And then Boris Karloff did it. And then Karloff took off. And Bella, by all accounts, Bella Lugosi was a man who didn't really know, was very good at, keep, you know, handling his money and things like that. He obviously, those who have seen Ed Wood know that he ended up in a pretty tough spot towards the end of his career. Um, that's the movie Ed Wood, mm-hmm. the Tim Burton yeah, yeah. movie. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, I, I would I would watch that TV yeah, show that if, they, if someone made that. If I was going to pitch a remake, <clears throat> I think I would be curious to see what Guillermo del Toro would do with Dracula, uh, with the way that he he creates kind of creepy visuals and and mm-hmm. uh, uses a lot of practical effects even you know he's doing this pinocchio movie which i've heard nothing but good things i mean especially after the disaster of the disney one uh this mm. year uh but it would be kind of fun to see like if someone you did at a stop motion animated oh, motion dracula. dracula i mean we've had the hotel transylvania movies that are dracula but yeah <laughs> not the same <laughs> but it would be fun to get one that was more uh, accurate to the book and I think that would be he would make something interesting. Yeah. You know, I want to recommend uh, for your Blind Spot series next Halloween, next October, I think you should do Bram Stoker's Dracula. I re- I'm really curious about what mm-hmm. you would think about that one. Yeah. The Francis Ford Coppola version, that is. Sounds good. I'll have to put that on my notes. 
Uh, so there we go. We did it. We talked about two versions of Dracula. So let us know if you're listening what you think of these two versions, if you've gotten to see them, and uh, and which you think is scarier or better. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So what do you have in store for next month? So next month, I was thinking of doing the movie Deep Cover, which is a very recent Criterion release, both on the streaming and as a disc. And it's a movie directed by Bill Duke, a very interesting director of uh, a movie I really love, The Killing Floor, and also Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, which is a pretty good movie, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. And this one is kind of like a police noir with Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum. So um, it's a movie I've been wanting to see for a long time. So it's a good opportunity, I think. Oh, cool. I've never heard of it. So uh, that's what's it called again? Deep Cover. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll look forward to that. And uh, and you can find us at Criterion Pod on Twitter. And if you can leave your ratings and reviews on iTunes, it really helps us a lot. We really appreciate it. And Conrado, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at CocoHitsNY. And you can watch my web series Wormholes, which is available on YouTube at Wormholes the Series. It's a sci-fi comedy, two seasons, available right now. Great. Yes. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. Check that out. Also, you can find me at the Hallmarkies Podcast. We are we are already in Christmas season. By by the time this airs on uh, on Halloween, we will have already had eight movies from Hallmark. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> For Christmas. Jeez. So my life is busy. <laughs> so but uh, we have a lot of really good content over there you and uh, good interviews and other things so please take a look and uh and thanks so much everybody we'll talk to y'all later bye happy halloween